Okay, friends, so tonight what uh, are we going to do? We are going to continue our explorations uh, in Exodus. So in our house group, we are going through uh, this event that took place in Exodus, in Exodus 3, you know, the encounter of Moses and the burning bush, and seeing the theology, the doctrine, uh, and the application that it brings to our lives. Because I know some of you... Um, Perhaps are not familiar, or were not here last time when we um, uh, we talked about that. Uh, I'm going to try to do a recapitulation of what we've seen. But what I'm hoping is that we could dig a bit further uh, that we did last time. So last time, what we've seen is that in that encounter in the Midianite desert, Moses um, is revealed by God his name. The name of God is revealed to him. Uh, God says that his name is Yahweh. I am who I am. And that puzzled him, but that also reveals some of his attributes. Reveals that he is eternal. Reveals his immutability. Reveals his ontological self-sufficient. He is, isn't he? And reveals in one sense that he is a God who is transcendent. God is not part of this world in one sense. He is beyond. He's above, isn't he? But he is not remote and detached um, in all of the ways. We see that he is transcendent, but he's also imminent. He's also close by. He's also intervening and sustaining the creation, isn't he? And one way uh, which we see that manifest is actually through the burning bush. God appears there as a theophany. But one thing that I think we need to bear in mind when we approach this text here today is that we see that God is a God who who intervenes, who is not this deistic concept of a God who does not operate in the world, but a God who actually conducts history. And in one sense, this is revealed when you read this passage here, when we see him saying that he is the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What do you think God once tell um, Moses when he says these words? When he says that God of Abraham, we are reminded that he is the God who called Abraham from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, who gave him that promise that his offspring will be like the number of the stars in the sky. When he says that he's the God of Isaac, he says that he's the God of that child, of that promised child, who inherited all the covenant and promises. And he says that he's the God of Jacob as well. He's the God of Jacob who became Israel, who became the 12 tribes of Israel. In one sense, he's also the God of Joseph, one of the, those sons of Jacob, who became the prince of Egypt, who became the governor of that land. And that's why we need to know this story, because in one sense it points out to the fact that Moses was in or rather, uh, God's people were in Egypt, and now we know why and how they got there. 400 years had passed, and 
we see in the account of Exodus that we heard that ominous announcement that there came a king, there came a pharaoh who did not know Moses. So they wouldn't benefit more of the favor that they had in that land. They actually were suffering great execution, great oppression from the current pharaoh. And that underlying motivation, that underlying context actually displays the motivation of this text. In, the, in, in, the, in that encounter, the urgency that we see God speaking to Moses, asking him to go and speak to the Pharaoh, there is this theme of redemption. What God is doing is redeeming his people from oppression, redeeming his people from the slavery that they were in Egypt. And I hope you see that there's actually there's a, a shared concept with the gospel in there that we see, uh, and hopefully we'll see today, that is this concept of redemption is amplified in the story of the gospel. And we see also that the use of the signs and the miracles that we've seen here, they are used to bring authenticity to the message, to the message of Moses and to the message of the gospel. But that we would see that the story in the, in the Old Testament is like a shadow of what was to come. And we see that appearing um, first, I think we see two points here. One is a mission that God gives to Moses. And I will do that in the sense of us to recapitulate what happened in preparation for the other points. So how can we compare then these two stories? How can we compare this old covenant story and this new covenant story, the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that Moses was called here to be like a mediator, to be like a representative of the people, to go and represent the people before Pharaoh. But how does that apply to Jesus in one sense? And I think a very good way for us to start is the book of Hebrews. The whole point of the book of Hebrews, or the first of the book, is to show the supremacy of Christ. It starts by saying that Christ is better than the angels, higher than the angels. But it then goes to say that Christ is higher or greater than Moses as well. As we read in Hebrews 3 to 6, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He is faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in God's house. So we see that comparison here. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has a greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. And now, think of this, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to the confidence and the hope in which we glory. It's a beautiful text, isn't it? We see this comparison between Moses and between Jesus and how they are different in one sense. 
And we see that in the house where Jesus is like the Lord, Moses is but a servant. How else could we compare them? I think Moses is called to liberate the people of Israel uh, in Egypt and to speak against the Pharaoh. Jesus frees us from sin, from the dominion of Satan, our enemy. In the account of Exodus, people were freed and they, they uh, roamed through the uh, desert. And most of them, because of their lack of faith, they don't get to see the promised land. Do you remember that story, don't you? What happens with Jesus? In, 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 with Jesus, our destination is certain. With Jesus, the fate is assured. He says that all that the Father gives will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There's an increased assurance. There's a certain assurance, actually, when compared to the account of Moses. Of course, there are other ways that we could compare them, and we'll find that there are similarities, there are continuities, and there are differences as well. Uh, in speaking about the mediatorial, the mediatorial uh, account or, or characteristics of them both, we remember the other verse that we actually read this morning. They will say, there is only one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ, Jesus Christ. So one may think, okay, so wasn't uh, Moses a mediator then? Because the text here is saying that there is one, only one mediator. Of course, that is in the sense of that Jesus mediated. Of course, uh, Moses couldn't mediate. Moses couldn't bring people to God. The ultimate reconciliation is only with Jesus, who shares that uh, his uh, uh, nature, who is both human and is both divine in that, uh, in that unique person that he is, uh, he can mediate between us and God, and only him can do that. But even so, Moses, in his capacity, was given this mission, and he was regarded as a faithful servant. And again, the book of Hebrews attests to that fact, and if you see, the chapter 11 is actually like a catalog of, uh, of the heroes of faith. It, it, it talks about many of the heroes of the uh, biblical history, and it says about Moses, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden from three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Then by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. We see that decision for humiliation, you know, that just like Jesus descended into humiliation, Moses also said no to the glory that he had in order to partake of the suffering of his people. And then verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. What we see in this account of Moses' faith 
is that he trusted God. He had great faith in God. He was looking forward to this reward. His mission wasn't easy, though, was it? He had to overcome even a personal struggle and many obstacles, but he delivered it. Even though he faltered at times, he trusted God's word and God was with him. But you know, you know what I'm, I'm, I'm going to. You know what comes next, don't you? What, what is the greatest mission in this world? The greatest mission that was given to our greatest hero. It is that one that was given to Christ. He came and he came to save us. And again, he also did everything according to God's plan. And he, um, he fulfilled everything. So I think we could say that in one sense, God created the world by his word. And we can see that he saved the world by his word as well, by Jesus Christ. How can we apply that? How We see these missions and we see this comparison given to Moses and to Jesus. And how do we fit in in that story? Because we are all giving a mission, aren't we? The word calls us to be witness, witnesses of Jesus in this world, witnesses of everything that he says, everything that he has done for us. And the task ahead of us might look frightening as it looked to Moses. But we may look at this deliverance that we've seen here in Exodus, and we can marvel at the, at the power that's been displayed, you know, the plagues, the opening of the sea, the, the Red Sea crossing, and then we can take hope that God is powerful to do that as well. And we can remember that there was just a shadow of what happened in Christ, and then we, that we are ambassadors of that truth. We are ambassadors of this ministry of reconciliation. And that is our commission. So we've seen this God-given mission, and we see this comparison between um, Moses and Jesus. But we, we see here in this text, in Exodus chapter 4, that in order for Moses to uh, fulfill his uh, mission, he is given signs. So we've seen God-given miracles. This week, I was reading about the developments of the church in China and the, the, the persecuted church, the underground church. If one side, the reports were very optimistic, saying that there was a great revival going on there, that thousands of thousands of people are, are being converted. But at the other side, you know, the freedom is shrinking dramatically. Uh, apparently... Uh, Bibles are being confiscated. Even uh, online retailers are being prohibited from selling the Bible. I think JD.com removed it from from um, from its shops. Uh, and especially the pro- uh, churches, like even Protestant ones, are being shut down or being forced to register in order to uh, continue to work. And imagine the the sheer pressure of the state. You know, people arriving and armies are, are, are arriving to your church and saying, oh, you, I need to know your names, I need to know your address. Imagine that would put great fear in their hearts. 
Now imagine if you, you were giving this mission to go and to speak to the President Xi about uh, giving or uh, the freedom back to, to these people. Not to persecute them, but to let them go and let them rejoice and let them praise in the God of their salvation. Or worse, like imagine if you were given the mission of trying to negotiate uh, the liberation of a hostage against a violent terrorist group and they would go uh, unarmed, unsolicited. Imagine that. You can tell where I'm going, can't you? So this request was made to Moses, that he would go against this big empire that is uh, Egypt uh, at that time, to speak to this greater leader, to this pharaoh, like a, a, a fearing man, uh, a man that actually caused great fear, that strikes fear into hearts of man. Couldn't God, perhaps you may think that Moses is talking to God, says, God, instead of appearing here in this burning bush, why don't you appear to Pharaoh? Appear to Pharaoh and say to them, please, uh, let them go. But God doesn't work like that. God wants to use us. He uses people. And in order to Moses to be able to perform this Herculean task that is set before him, God also enables and equips him. But I, because I just imagine, imagine Moses arrives to his friends in, 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 back in Egypt, because at this point he was in, in the Midianite desert then. Okay, God, I will do what you're saying. I'll, I'll go back to Egypt. He arrives to the people of God and says, Look, I was in the middle of the desert and there was a, like a, a burning bush. It wasn't being consumed. There was a fire. And he spoke to me and asked that, and, and to, for me to tell you guys that God is going to deliver us. The prophet says, Moses, what, what have you been drinking? Look, like this story doesn't really connect, does it? So, in order to attest that message, God attends to Moses' needs. Because we see Moses is saying back to, to God here, they won't believe me. So Moses uh, comes to God. God attends to his needs. He gives him these signs. So what can we say about these signs, about these miracles in one sense? What we can say that actually, when you look at the Bible back to back, we see these miracles are in some ways uh, somewhat scarce in the Bible. What I want you to, to, to see is that it, they tend to appear in clusters. So we see this multitude almost of miracles here occurring here with Moses. He is giving all of these signs to perform. And then if you flick the pages of the Bible from Exodus, where do we see that happening again? We see perhaps in Elijah, we see those great signs. But then where next? We see with Jesus. But from many of the pages of the Bible, we don't see miracles and signs working like that. Why do you think is that? It's because this type of sign God uses with a very specific purpose. He uses to attest, to confirm, to bring validity to agents of revelation, 
true agents of his revealed words. So you see these signs, this type of miracle occurring when God is revealing himself. So which signs were, were those then? If we go back to the text, we see in verse 2, God asks of him, What is in your hands? He says, I stuff, throw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And what Moses did, he ran from it. Yes, okay, so uh, that was expectable and that was a sensible thing for him to do. Uh, but then God asked him to catch it <laughs> and to catch it by the tail. I don't know if you ever played with a serpent before. I hope not. It's not safe. Uh, but to catch a serpent by the tail is not the best thing that you could do. Perhaps you would go for the head, you know, to try to prevent it, to bite you. So even in the way that God asked Moses to do things, there is a, a, an element of, of, of faith. Of, of He has to be faithful. He has to trust God to do that. And he does it. Like he grabs it by the tail and it becomes a staff again. He asked him to put his hands in his cloak and then became leprous. He has to put it back and then um, it, it is healed. He asked him to... Do yet another sign if needed, which was to grab this water, throw it on the ground, and it would become blood. Do you see any connection with these signs? Actually, it's very interesting that the serpent, you know, the, the, uh, the leprous hand, and the blood, they are actually related to the ten plagues that would occur later on. You know, the serpent referring to uh, creatures of, of earth, and we see... Uh, the, the leper's hand actually referring to people, to plagues that would isolate people. And we see the, the water representing plagues uh, of elements of, of nature, which is actually really interesting that even in that God was uh, revealing uh, the, the events that would take place. So we see that the purpose of these signs were not to prove God's existence, you know, like to... Uh, it's not that God would like to, when Moses would come to this, his friends, and say, oh, I want you to do this sign here so you can believe that God exists. It, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Like, perhaps people of our time, when they ask for miracles, they ask miracles for, for that purpose, to prove that God exists. Okay, make a miracle here. But that wasn't the case here. They exist to attest the agent of the revelation that Moses was speaking on Moses' behalf. So, as I said earlier, this whole idea here, the whole, uh, the, the thrust of the message was this idea to redeem uh, people. That was, was happening here in the background. But when God redeems people, he doesn't redeem them for, without a, a purpose. He redeems them from something to something. So we see, if we go back, just flip one page, but let's see Exodus 3, 12. If you remember, he says, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Yet another sign that he's given to Moses here. And we know that this was exactly what it, uh, happened when Moses delivered people from Egypt. He came to uh, that mountain to worship God. He received the law. He became the mediator of this covenant. 
So, brothers and sisters, we see here again that uh, God redeemed his people from Egypt as a shadow of a greater redemption that took place on the cross. God didn't save you for your enjoyment. God didn't save those people that they could uh, you know, roam around the desert. And he did not save us that we could go to the cinema on a Sunday evening. God saved us to worship him. God saved us to have a relationship with him. So I ask you, how is your church attendance? How is, what have you been doing with your time? We shouldn't come to, to church or we shouldn't worship God because we like. We should do it because he redeemed us for this purpose. Remember that in one sense, God is not just a God of individuals. He is our federal head. He works with people, with nations. He wants a people for himself. He relates to us through covenants, through representatives, through mediators. And we should be so grateful that we have this greater mediator who is Jesus Christ. Just one more thing in closing. If we look at the life of Moses, Moses was 80 years old. He was an old man already. He had been born and raised in the Egyptian palace. You know, he had um, pretty much all of the best things of the world, the best study. He had the best food. He had all the treasures that we, we read here before. And what was he doing? He was being, for 40 years, he had just been a shepherd of sheep in a desert. He was probably thinking, God, is this my life? Is this the purpose of my life? Don't we sometimes ask this same question? But we read that when he met with God at the burning bush, and then when all of this story, as we've seen, was finally revealed, and all of this was a, like a mission accomplished, that Moses, by faith, had refused all of the uh, apparent treasures of that life. And so should we like reject all of the sinful desires of this world to follow Christ. We have seen that Moses was but a shadow of Christ, that his achievements pale into insignificance when compared to Christ's attainments and the great victory. Nevertheless, I think this story, his story, uh, brings us great insights of a God who promises and who fulfills the promises, a God who gives signs, a God of miracles, a God of great power, a God that loved us so much that bring us to him through his son, who gave his son to bring us and to give us this great, uh, greater and ultimate deliverance. Then the connection with the text that we read um, earlier on in John chapter 3, just as Moses lifted up the snake, the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Moses lifting up of that snake was a shadow of the cross. 
was a shadow of the cross of Christ. We have many other shadows and types in the Bible that we could explore. For instance, in Romans 5.14, we see that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come, was type of Christ. Death reigned, faint, uh, hope fainted. But Moses, in all of that story, he didn't die to save his people. Christ did. So that we may live with this certain hope of eternal life. I hope you will experience this reality even today and that would uh, create praise or a desire for praising God in your heart. That even as we see this story and we see the story of Christ arrayed with so many miracles, with so many signs, that your faith will be strengthened. That this message is a trustworthy message and we are called to proclaim it. Just as Moses, he feel inept like he feel like uh, I'm not the right man for this job. Please send someone else. We may feel that way as well, but we know that we have a helper that could help us. Just as Moses had Aaron, we have the Holy Spirit. And in the end, we have Jesus, who is not a shadow, but the real thing. When we see the real thing, we don't overly gaze at shadows, but focus our eyes on what is real. And he said that he is the, the God of Abraham. Before, actually, Jesus says that, that before Abraham was, I am. You know, the revelation of great Yahweh. Jesus says that I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Moses was a shepherd, a faithful shepherd, a shepherd of sheep and a shepherd of people. But Jesus, he is our good shepherd. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that all of your commands, all of your scripture, all of the, your, the missions that you have given to us, they are good. The struggles will come, but despite the obstacles, despite any of uh, adverse circumstances, if we have you, if we just have you by our side, we shouldn't fear. We pray, Lord, be with us in the name of our God, our Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen.